Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I promise I will not say any spoilers about Star Wars. I did see it last night. I give it a, okay, Ross, I'll give it a marginal thumbs up. I'm not like enthusiastic, you know, Siskel and Ebert, you know, best picture. It was good. But as I said to you on the phone, I thought the first act was okay. The second act was a bore uh, because, uh, and the third act was phenomenal in the movie. Yeah, I, I disagree with that. I think the for a two-and-a-half-hour movie, you were never bored. I think people that are, like, really into Star Wars, which, you know, I guess means you've seen every movie more than ten times, right. you will look for things that you don't like, and that's what you'll remember. But if you're going to see this movie and you're just like me and you've seen them all at least once, maybe you've seen them all twice, you'll love it. And, and bottom line is it's a great movie. It's a great story. And, and I have no problem with it. I, I would give it six stars if I could. Now, Kevin, that, that's a pretty ringing endorsement because yeah. um, Russ is a very, very tough. Creator. I, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, I, you know, I read his Facebook and he can find fault. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, to me, that seems, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I was going to go see it regardless, but that, you know, to me, that's a strong endorsement from Russ. Yeah, yeah, on, on a scale of four stars, I would give it three, which is, I think pretty good. It's like, I mean, I don't think it's a, it's not a bad movie. It's a good oh, movie. Yeah. I, I get it. But I, I have to say this though, Kevin, this, this doesn't have to do with just star Wars, but any popular movie. Now, yesterday, I go to see the I go to see the movie five thirty showing and all they have are seats in the front row so I didn't feel like you know essentially straining my neck for three hours looking straight up at a twenty foot screen and Luke Skywalker so I decided to go to the next show which was six o'clock got a decent seat and the 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 movie they started at six but not the actual movie there were eight trailers the movie did not start until almost 6 30. i used to work in a movie theater i worked in there for 10 years i used to be a projectionist i used to put the films together usually movie companies they want one or two previews this company eight previews is obscene and i you know honestly i know that people were going to stay no matter what but eight previews is ridiculous see i i you know it's not surprising you and i completely disagree like i love trailers Love trailers. Like, you know, I like to see what's coming up and going on, and like, you know, it just adds to the experience for me to see what other movies are coming up. And we usually sit there as a, as a family, and you either say we're in or we're out, you know, based on the trailer. You know. Yeah, I, and I get that. And and but Mike was texting me, and he called them previews, and I didn't know what the hell he was talking about, Kev, because I'm so used to trailer that he was talking a different language to me. It took a that's minute. Mo that's movie theater jargon because, like I said, I was a projectionist. Yeah. 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 But but the thing is, and I, normally I agree with you, Kev, is it's like, but when I it gets we to expect it. I mean, we expect it. It's but like, not eight. Not eight. Three, four, five. But eight is a little obsessive. And I think the problem was is that of those eight previews, and we were talking about this, Russ, 
I think two of them were were, were I consider worthwhile uh, viewing. Uh, the yeah, Jurassic- I, I agree with that. But we're not the target movie audience anymore, Mike. I don't want to, you know, upset you or anything. But a lot of those trailers were not meant for you, so it's okay. Everything is meant for me. <laughs> now, one one last thing. One last thing. Uh, the NFL. If there's one thing they need to get a handle on is their rules. I I actually tweeted to them today what a drop pass looks like because I think they've forgotten. I mean, it's just like, Kev, now it's like not only do you have to have the ball, but you even have to have it after you hit the ground. The ground used to not be able to cause a fumble, but now it can. And now even if you cross that magic plane, but they see the ball wiggling even a little bit, you don't get a touchdown. And to me, it's just crazy now. Yeah, the whole, the process thing. I, you know, Rob Rossi, who, you know, we know from the hockey world, yes. because at one point he was a, a beat writer. Now he's a columnist. Uh, uh, he used to cover the Penguins. But, you know, he wrote after that that, you know, he has long been against uh, a replay because, you know, you're still going to have errors, and he'd rather have human error mm-hmm. than these kind of things. And, uh, you know, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm I'm very patient with with it all. You know, I figure you're trying your best trying to sort it out, but it's hard hard to ascertain what the thought process was on that. Like, I mean, that was clearly a a catch, and yeah. I don't know how. Now, the the problem is, is we've all been in a room watching football games with other people, and if there are five people in the room, two see one thing and three see another, which really speaks to how difficult it is to officiate uh, as it is. But I. I would venture to say that 90% of the people in this country thought that was a catch. Now, well, I may be wrong, but, you know. It, it all it all stems from that Des Bryant catch or non-catch against against Green yeah. Bay in the playoffs. Sure. And, and I, I, almost, I, I almost burst out laughing when I was flipping through the channels this morning and I saw Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter on ESPN who said that the NFL, with the change in the rules that happened from last year to this year, simplified things. Are, are, are you are you kidding me? The 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 one that Russ was talking with me about before the the one in the Jets game was absolutely ridiculous. That that didn't count as a catch. Any any catch now where the receiver has his hands on the ball, has his two feet down, and when he falls out of bounds, if he doesn't hold on to the ball completely and and ju- doesn't juggle it, that's okay. If he does juggle it, it's not a catch. I mean, where, where, I, I don't get it. I think the NFL loves and craves controversy because that's good theater. See, I go back to when we played flag football, Kev. That's a catch. Like, don't, no referee on the yeah. field is going to tell you that it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I'm with you 100%. Like, that was a catch. I saw it. I thought it was a catch. I don't get it. You know? and, and I'm not yeah. saying it because it's the Patriots. No, no, Patriots I, fans. I know, but the Patriots fans always think that we're picking on the Patriots. It just so happens they happen to have played in a lot of controversial games. That's just the way it is. They yeah, get on TV a lot. I, I, you know, you just wonder whether these things should be done. There should be a hundred people in a room, hundred football fans, and they should just on every play they should just vote. And we, I like that, like a jury, like a jury, yeah. you know, and they can decide because I would, I would venture to say that most fans would have called that a catch. And isn't this game yeah. about the fans? It's supposed to be. It's true. Well, and and then last night, I mean, and not maybe not as many people saw this as, as saw the Pittsburgh New England game. Uh in the in the Dallas Oakland game, 
late in the fourth quarter, Dow, uh, Oakland has a chance to win the game. They're on the 15-yard line, and Derek Carr scrambles and stretches for the end zone with his two feet inbounds and fumbles the ball into the end zone from about the two-yard line, and they call the touchback, and Dallas wins. Now, all the Dallas haters out there were probably extremely pissed at that point. But the, I, I, th- now, I, I don't know what the solution to that is because I saw a bunch of people like Rich, Rich Eisen and a bunch of football commentators saying that's a bad rule. Okay, but what's the solution? If you I, I know what the, the solution is. I do. I thought about it. The solution is – if you get rid of the breaking the plane and go back to, you actually have to touch inside of the end zone. You actually have to be, some part of you has to be in the end zone, then guys will stop stretching like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that, I think that's true, actually. Yeah. You know, because uh, it does what does complicate it is players are constantly reaching. Because now that they're reaching and they never used to reach like this, it, everybody's trying to knock the ball loose when you do that. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't, yeah. Wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be ironic if that they, they go to touching the end zone in the NFL and the NHL goes to breaking the plane when it comes to offsides? All right, let's go back to hockey. I can't even think about that. Okay, here we go. Uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, December 18th, 2017. I'm Obi-Wan Cohen. <laughs> I'm Kevin Allen of USA Today Sports, and Russ just made my day. <laughs> and I'm Kylo Ren Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Um, okay, let's start with this because I think it dominated the weekend. Um, the 100th anniversary game in Mo- in, uh, in Ottawa uh, between the Senators and the Montreal Canadiens, uh, I think – Kevin was pretty much obscured by the commentary of Eugene Melnick, who uh, I know the day of the game, he essentially said, I'm not talking to the media. Well, he should have done that the day before and a couple days before because he was the center of the entire story. And the comments that he made the day on Friday to a few members of the media regarding potentially moving the team from Ottawa. I mean, I couldn't think of worse things to say in, in advance of an event than what Melnick did what what are you hearing, and what what do you think of, of of the whole weekend and that? Well, you know, it you know it was Christmas, and he was Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, it was just awful, uh, you know. And you're absolutely right; he couldn't have picked you know worse words. And uh, you know, he turned it into um, you know what should have been a grand celebration of uh, you know the hundredth anniversary in Canadian hockey and outdoors, and just turned it into. Um, uh, almost a referendum of whether or not I would call it fan shaming. He was fan shaming. Yeah, yeah, he was. No, you're absolutely right, and you know there was really no reason for it. And you know, all I could think of is if you're Eric Carlson, <laughs> and and you're watching all that going yes. down, and you're saying to yourself, I mean, I I'm already planning now if I'm Eric Carlson where I'm going uh, to assign as a free agent in 2019. There's no right. reason. To think you're going to stay there, and and do you even really want to? You know, if your owner is going to act like that, um, like I, I don't even know how he can defend that. I'm sure he's going to say, "Well, I'm just being honest." Well, sometimes it's better not to be honest and just yeah. keep your mouth shut. Now, that yeah. wasn't the time nor the place for that. Here's the thing. Here, here's my thinking, Mike. First off, to all the haters of outdoor games who always say, "Oh, it's not worth it. Oh, they never sell out. Oh, they're still making plenty of money. They're still." Mm-hmm. The coverage is good. 
there's still a lot of interest because when something goes wrong sure. and it goes wrong at one of those games, there's an awful lot of coverage. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing is Eugene Melnick is the one who wanted that game exactly where it was played, and he asked Gary Bettman for it, and he got it. And that makes him extra millions of dollars this year. And for him to, to sort of act like that with the fans, that right. was lousy. And, Russ, I think he did it completely for effect because all the focus was on them. And yep. he's like, okay, I'm going to basically be P.T. Barnum here and get the megaphone out and yep. and, and, and uh, vent my spleen and talk about the problems of, you know, the, you know getting an arena built downtown. Yeah, and he's trying to speed that up. He is. I, right. And and the thing is, okay, I have to say this. I was a critic of Ottawa fans and the, and the fan base of the Senators last year when you had – you know what? Three, four thousand empty seats in the, in the second round series against the Rangers. Okay, and 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 Melnick brought this up, and he's like, the ticket prices were 150 bucks, and they were a thousand dollars at MSG. I mean, I, I I think he's justified in saying that, but you don't say it at this point in this event. Right, right. Celebrating the hundredth anniversary of the league, you got to know when to keep your mouth shut and when to say something. Well, yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about the Ottawa Senators, is there an arena disaster? For sure. Is it in the wrong spot? Absolutely. Should this fan base be more supportive? You know, absolutely as well. So there's a lot that he's right about. But, you know, it's just the wrong time to say it. And, you know, maybe as they move closer and he has to explain what's going on with Eric Carlson, maybe it's the right time. Mm -hmm. You um, know, I was at the, at the draft in Ottawa, and I was at the All-Star game in Ottawa. And the crowds for those were, were great, like very, you know, boisterous, into it. So, yeah, if, if you know, if you're not filling the, the barn every night, then look at yourself. Don't always look at the fans. Now, let's let's shift to Carlson here because and, and, and more than just him, because, I mean, right now this is a franchise in crisis, even though they've won a couple games in a row and they're, you know, maybe they're starting to pull out of their, their funk, but. You know, I think they've dug themselves a big enough hole that it's going to take a Herculean effort in the second half, Kev, like, you know, Andrew Hammond winning 25 games in a row or whatever to get back into it. And I don't think that's that's going to happen twice in three years. So where does Pierre Dorian go here? You've got a couple restricted free agents in CC and, and Mark Stone who are looking for new contracts. you got Hoffman making – pretty good money and he's a good he's a good offensive forward you've got Carlson a year away from unrestricted free agency I, I don't envy Dorian in the sense that I think he's being given a budget and and Melnick said 68 million I can't justify spending that much even you know going forward if I don't get more of a uh, support from the fan base okay so you're, you're admitting basically we're trading Carlson because we can't pay him well you you kind of were I you know I I think Dorian's mission depends greatly on you know, what uh, ownership is telling him in terms of, you know, what his budget is moving forward. I mean, if they've even had that conversation about next season and what he knows from what Eric Carlson is telling him. Um, but if, if they don't know what he's going to do and if they're being sincere about their intent to try to sign him, then I think they can't really do anything. Um, I, you know, if, if you don't, if you still think you have a shot to sign Eric Carlson, you right. know, can't start investigating what's out there. Now, if you don't realistic, then you know, then now's the time to do it because I think this case really is um, different. Usually, you're better off waiting to the summer, mm -hmm. but in this case, because how dominant Carlson could be, 
you're better off trading him now because they then the team that gets him gets two kicks that they can with them. They get this playoff run and they get next season. And his his salary is what six point something? Uh, seven point five, I believe. So, okay, well, but it's it's workable. It's doable. Right. You can fit it in. Prorated this season, um, and um, so for that reason, I think he could go, you know, to a few teams. And you know, uh, Mike, you and I have talked about this. There are some teams out there that could make it work. The Maple Leafs could make it work. I think the New York Rangers could make it work. I think the Dallas Stars, if if they're even on their list, I don't have any idea. You know, they could make it work. I see several teams, but the cost will be really, really high. Um, you know, I mean. If the Maple Leafs want to do it, it's going to cost them Nylander. It's going to cost them Liljegren. If the Rangers want to do it, uh, Shea's going to have to go. Um, You know, uh, their first-round pick uh, last June, if it's – Well, they had two of them, so they could probably have their pick of them. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it will be the Swedish kid, though. Um, Six and and a half for Carlson for this year. Six and a half. Uh, and you know, if you go to the Dallas Stars, then it's going to be the Finnish defenseman that they took number three overall. So the, the price is going to be high, but you know, you're getting back a, like a great player who's in the prime of his career. Yeah. See, the, the thing, the thing is, Russ, is that if you trade him to a team that is a a budget team, but a team that is competing, say, just I'll, I'll throw out Nashville. They're not really a budget team anymore because they're spending money. But I'm just saying, you know, they have been in the past. Then. You know, he the the chances of him re-signing there with guys like Subban and Yossi and everybody else already signed Johansson and Benino and all those guys are are less. If he gets traded to a big market team like the Rangers or Toronto, they're they're expending assets, but they are expending assets for a guy that they have a pretty good chance of re-signing and extending long term. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, if they got the sense that they can't sign him. I would not only try and trade Carlson now, which could still run through the draft based on <clears throat> what teams are willing to give up, and Duchesne too. And so I would be I would be moving them both, and then I would definitely be extending CC. I would definitely next <coughs> year counting on Shabbat and counting on Logan Brown. And while that may not be the ideal situation, I'm hoping that what I get back in the Carlson deal with those youngsters mixed in doesn't drop me all that much in the standings. And I I think there's a chance of that. So I think I think that's their best chance to come out of this looking good. They're never going to look good trading Carlson, but at least if they got value, then then that would be a way to go. Yeah. You know, that, that's a great point, you know, Russ, because, um, you know, you're, you're never going to get full value for Carlson because he is right. such a difference maker. However, you're going to get a, a King's Ransom back and you've got good young players, mm-hmm. and you, you'll have enough money to sign your restricted free free agents. And you know they didn't play too badly at the start of the year when Carlson right. was up. No, they didn't. You know, it's not like you you know you can't have a good team if there's no Carlson. Right. I, I think everything is still there to have a good team, but now I think that they're going to have to you know work at it a little bit. Well, here here's the thing, and I'm wondering putting putting the two subjects together. If the if the senators are are um, bound and determined to, to trade Carlson because Melnick doesn't see a road a, a way to pay him and make a profit, doesn't that wound Melnick even more 
and make the fan base even more have have more animosity towards him. Isn't this like sort of a Peter Pocklington Gretzky scenario in Edmonton where, you know, I know I know that he Pocklington had financial problems, but you know, pretty much his name was mud after he traded Gretzky. Yeah, I mean I think that's possible because this is such a big name player, although, you know, right now his name is already mud, I think, in Ottawa. Yeah. So um and uh you know I I, I just think this the situation with Melnick is the team would have to win a Stanley Cup, you know, for him to, uh, you know, renovate his his image. And I'm not even sure that would help at this at this point. I think they would say, oh, wow. they've done it despite Melnick, you know. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, the trade freeze is tomorrow. Um, I you know the, I know that Ak has posted a few things that may happen before uh, December the 19th. I, I'm predicting I, zero trades before yeah. the. Yeah. Usually, yeah, yeah, usually it would happen the weekend before, but the the, yeah. the official date is tomorrow. But Kev, sometimes there is a pickup on deals after that trade freeze. You know, they, you know, um, there are a few scenarios. That we're going to talk about a couple pretty key injuries that just had, or actually three key injuries that just happened in the NHL. But there, are, I think this is the time of year where management teams sort of get together and say, okay, what direction are we going here? And I think we know that. Ottawa's in that current predicament, and we know Buffalo and maybe Detroit, and there's a few others. But do you think that things will pick up in terms of trades after this freeze picks uh, drops off? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I, I think um, you know there's always two schools of thought in terms of approaching the trade deadline. Some general managers are looking to push as close as they can to the trade deadline to get a prorated contract because they're tight against the cap and they need to fit in as little money as possible into their cap. And then there's another thought that, and usually a guy like Jim Rutherford is in favor of this. He likes to get his guys in early so they get sort of acclimated to the team. I think back to the year the Hurricanes won the cup over a decade ago and uh, they brought in Doug Wade. I think that deal was in January. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I think so. It was in midseason, and the idea was they wanted him to, you know, feel part of the team. And I think, you know, you'll see some deals, I think, in January, and then you'll see some that are going to push toward. But I, I, I don't see the Red Wings moving green right away. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, they're, you know, they're not doing if, – if your objective as a fan is to have them bottom out, they're not doing a very good job of it because no. they're kind of right. they're kind of hanging around and – and they're right around 500, and just when you thought they were dead, they had a big win over Toronto, and you know they've picked up some points before Toronto, and they're just sort of hanging in there. And then the Atlantic is very forgiving, um, you know. So, you know, they, they can convince themselves, I think, that they can stay in this if they could go on a little run. So I think they may wait on Green, but I think Evander Kane will get dealt relatively soon, and um, I think he'll actually fetch a pretty good price. Uh, he said, you know. He scored a lot of goals for all the trouble he's called Buffalo. Has caused Buffalo. He's he scored some goals there in Buffalo. Well, first first on Green because I mean he's clearly I think at the top of the rental list. I mean I, I actually wrote something today about about the leaps and where they may go in terms of upgrading their defense. You know, presuming that it's not Carlson or Ekman Larson or or Dowdy that it's you know a more realistic rental type of thing. And Green is the best. He's 32 years old. I think he's got 18 points right now. I would assume that that uh, Kenny Holland is going to be looking for probably a low first-round pick, 
for you know a a, def a defenseman who can play the power play, who can who can rush the puck. And I I don't think the Leafs are going to give up a first round pick for a guy who can walk away at the end of the year like they gave up a second round pick for Brian Boyle last year. But there are other UFAs like you know Ian Cole, Erica Branson, uh, uh, Johnson from from Columbus. Uh, you know there who are, may not be as impactful, but probably they had to give up a lot less, and that might help them more than I, I you know I'm I, I'm skeptical of, of Green and his two-way ability i've always been sort of skeptical of that i mean look in, in a short window look how good brendan smith looked in the playoffs last year right. green would look better than that and he has a lot better offense so i, I think green uh is still a pretty good player oh i'm not i'm not saying he's not i'm just saying for what for what toronto has right now russ in terms of defensemen who are more offensive minded and not de enough defensive minded for for mike babcock mm -hmm. adding green is just you know he's a right-handed Jake Gardner and Jake Gardner's had his defensive problems. I I don't think they're yeah, looking I mean, for that type. They would of have too many of those guys. I get that. I do. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little more cynical than you are about Mike Green. I I I, I don't think the price is at a first-round pick at this point. I think it would be a second-round pick and a prospect. Now, saying all that, it would depend on what the bidding, you know, mm. turns into and. Um, you know, some teams now sort of look at late first-round picks as the same as second. So, you know, depending on where you are in the standings, if you're down in the bottom and, and you know, you think, well, what the heck, you know, we're picking now. I mean, it's 31 teams now. You know, so if you're if you're picking down 29, that used to be a second-round pick. So, uh, you know, we uh, – you add uh, – uh, you know, you you might be willing to give a first-round pick. But I think right now, you know, generally the standard – for a player like Green would be a second round pick and a prospect, not an A plus prospect. Mm -hmm. So now that that's where the bidding probably is now, and it would depend on you know how hot he stays. But I mean, your your observation about Green is right on. Like you know, he is still and never has been a good defensive player, and he's having a terrific uh, offensive year. Uh, and his skating. He's worked on his skating, and he's, uh, you know, even at his advanced age, you can tell the difference. But, you know, he's still not a strong defensive player. And, no. um, you know, you have to cover for him. you got to play him with the right right people. And he, you know, he, he will give the puck away, uh, and he will take chances. So you've got to, you, you know, you've got to have a definite need to be in on the Mike Green sweepstakes because he, he's a terrific power play player. Now, in regards to Kane, and there's been a lot of rumors around Buffalo, and you know the, the Sabers, I believe they've won three games in their last 18 and have as many wins as the Buffalo Bills. So they're not they're not on the path they're not on the path of of success right now. And obviously, you guys who are UFAs like Kane, if they can get a good return for them, and he's having a very good offensive year, I think they're going to move them. I think it's there's no probably no question of that. But there have been intimation you know indications that you know uh that B jason botterill is looking for you know the usual package for an impact forward which is an hl player prospect and a first round pick and for some teams that might be something that they're willing to pay but i i don't know the the, the, the things with the vander kane you know the sort of ancillary things i, I think will drag the price down a little bit what, what do you think well, you know, I th again, I think it will depend on who's in the bidding, but I I'm not sure they're going to get a current NHL player. I 
I would think it's going to be more of a, you know, a first round pick and a prospect. Um, you know, I think it's easier to get a first round pick for him than it is for green because he can, not only can he score some goals, but he's got a little bite to him, to his game. Um, so, and he looks like a guy who could, you know, be a, have an impact in a playoff series. So I think, uh, you know, the prospect might be a little better. So, and again, I, I think the teams that are in the contending race are more than willing to give up a first round pick. So you might be able to get that for Vander Kane. Right. It just gives the Sabres another first round pick because right now they're, their issue is depth, as you know, Mike. Like they just, uh, you know, it's interesting because Murray was known as a scout, and yet he really, you know, there's some players on the Buffalo Sabers that are pretty good, but there's not uh, enough depth, and you know, all the injuries that they have, and boy, they just don't have anybody to plug in. Well, I mean, Russ will be more prepared to talk about the, the depth of their organization, but I, I can tell you, because um, Alex Nylander, who may play for Sweden in the World Junior so far after a year and a quarter has not not lived up to what I thought he was going to be. You know, and he's had injury problems, yep. and he seems to be on a better path now. He missed the – I think it was the first two months of the season with a with a high ankle sprain. But they, I think at this point they expected him to be like his brother William and be in the NHL by now, and, and he, you know, he's nowhere close to being that. Um, they, you know, Cal Peterson, Russ, talk, talk about that guy because he could have been their number one goaltender, and he's – not even in the organization anymore. He's one of the best in the AHL. I mean, but they still have Gouley. Uh Nylander could be a, still a year away. That's fine. I mean, he's still young. It's not like he's a bust or anything. I, I wouldn't even go there. Um, I, I like a guy they have on defense, Will Borgen. They um, they have As- Asplund. Yeah, they have Asplund, who's excellent. They do have Uka Pekka Lukanen, who you know will play in the World Juniors. So, I mean, they probably are not as deep as they should be because they definitely shed too much in some trades. But at the end of the day, I think Kane's going to get you either a first or a prospect. I don't think he can get you both because he's in his walk year. And I don't think he's had particularly – I have to go back and look at his playoff record, but I don't think he's been a particularly great playoff guy. He hasn't even been in the playoffs that much. Yeah, I I don't think he's been in the playoffs. Maybe ever. Yeah. Was he was he there for Winnipeg when they played Anaheim? Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm I'm not sure. All I know is that, yeah, and 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 even going further than that, I mean, I know you know Eichel had a hat trick uh, recently against Carolina. I, I think he's a, a, still a top young player, and they're paying him as he's as never played in the playoffs. Right. Yeah. He's and and um, you know, Eichel, I think Eichel is a great is a great young player, but he doesn't have a lot to help him. There's a lot of criticism about Sam Reinhart. I'll tell you about Eichel. I learned something the other day. So when the when the Sabers were here in Philly and they and they lost, I went into the locker room and I was going to talk to Eichel. But as Kevin knows, when you see a guy just sort of staring out into the horizon and you know face is red and everything, it's best to just sort of stay away. And and I saw him for a good minute or two just shaking his head. And and I had tweeted about that because I said, you know. For anybody doubting Jack Eichel, like, oh, maybe he's not as good or whatever, you know, it, it takes a lot more to win as a team, right? So he's clearly was all in. Next game he gets a hat trick, right? So I know what's in Jack Eichel. It's all about the team around him. It really is. Right. Yeah, I think if anything, his issue is he cares too much. Yes. Like like he has to, you know, uh, tone it down a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I think he has – 
you know, trouble accepting the fact that not everybody can play at his level. And, you know, when guys are trying their hardest, it, you know, sometimes it's not enough. And, yeah. um, you know, he just seems to get a little, um, you know, he, I think he wants to win. But, you know, he's, he's still young. He'll sort it out. Like, I'm, yeah, it's the, it's I'm the ignorance worried. of youth. That's what it is. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about it. He's He's going to be every bit the player that they thought he was going to be. Now, jumping around the the league, there's been some key injuries over the last couple of days. Um, not as not as big as the others, but Patrick Hornquist was sent back by the Penguins. Now, you know, I mean, this this is a key player for the Pens. You, He's if a you key watch, for them. We we could say that. Yeah, I, I, I you know, and now obviously they still have Malkin, they still have Crosby. They finally got Murray back after the injury. Um, you know, other you know, the thing is though, with Benino gone, with them losing as many players as they did af- after last year, you know, Matt Cullen goes to Minnesota. Um, the, a lot of the responsibility to, to to score has been on Kessel, has been on Malkin and Crosby, and if they don't score, that team is in trouble. They, I think they're looking probably to, to add some depth before the before the deadline. And if you lose a guy like Hornquist, I don't know with the severity of the injury. I mean, he's one of the guys, one of the few guys who can provide some secondary offense. Well, yeah, and you look at his record since going to Pittsburgh. Like he's a key scorer for them. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know they, you know the, one of the problems when you have like I always say too, people get too carried away about like if you pay one guy, you can't afford another guy. Well, everybody's paying at least two guys. Right. Problem right. is, though, however, though, is what ends up happening like. In the case of the Penguins, where you're paying a lot of money for two centers, that usually leaves you short on the wing. Yes. And that's where the Penguins. The Penguins have to rely on guys who are, you know, probably wouldn't be, you know, like uh, Sherry probably would not be on the top lines of other, you know, teams. Right. And he ends up often playing on the Penguins' top line because, you know, they've got a lot of money tied up in, um, you know, the two centers and Latang and so forth. And, you know, Hornquist has been a very consistent performer, um, you know, for the Penguins. And, you know, he's got – he's a little mouthy. He's got a little, uh, like, Esatikinen style. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I think that that helps as well. So, yeah, I think he's a very valuable performer. I actually think he's going to be one of the more coveted players on the free agent marketplace this summer. I agree. Um, now, the Montreal Canadiens has started to climb back a little bit with the return of Carey Price. Price you know, they, they did lose to Ottawa on Saturday, but they had been playing a little better. Uh, one game under 500, 14, 15, and 4. But uh, Shea Weber gets sent back by the club. Uh, they're out on the West Coast right now with a, uh, a foot injury. Now, they're not saying if it's a bruise or if it's a, if it's a break, but there's, you know, he's been playing with it. And now they're sending him back because it's just it's affecting them too much. I, I think they can, you know, they they obviously were barely able to bear the injury to Price, Kev, but Weber was there. Now it's all it, it's even more on Carey Price with Weber not playing twenty five minutes a night. Well, for sure, and they, you know they hadn't done a real good job of supporting him anyway, and so now having uh, you know Shea Weber potentially out, and who knows how long that'll be. But you know this team. You know, they're back being to where they're so goalie dependent. And, you know, he's a good one. Uh, you know, so if you're going to be goalie dependent, Gary Price is a great guy to have. But sure, you know, he, the, one of the issues is that has been the case since he's been there is he covers up a lot of their deficiencies. And we forget when he plays well that there's not enough there there. You know, there's, yeah. uh, you know, they, they really aren't good enough defensively. And how long have you been, uh, Mike, railing about their lack of offense for – 
last two or three years, and uh, and you know they they haven't really addressed that. Um, and uh, you know Jonathan Druin, uh, as skilled as he is, you know he's not. They need much more than him to turn this around. Yeah, and they've been playing Russ. They've been playing Shea Weber with Jordy Ben. Um, yeah. they, were play, they were playing him with Victor Mete at the beginning of, at the beginning of the year with you know the, the the grizzled veteran, the guy who eats minutes, playing with the young guy, covering up for the youthful youthful mistakes. That that that's understandable. But now that they've sent Mete to play for Team Canada, the World Junior, they're playing a majority Ben. And Jordy Ben's not a bad defenseman. He's a big guy. He's positionally sound, but. He, he's not a top-pairing guy. It's like Ron Hainsey playing in Toronto with Morgan Riley. They're good defensemen. They're good veterans. But they're not 25-minute-a-night defensemen. And that's where, I mean, the, there's all the, there's the failings of their offense, but there also there's the failings of their defense too. Yeah, they got problems. And um, I saw Charles Hudon. He's probably got somewhere between five and seven goals this year. Got hit in the face in practice with a puck. So now he's wearing a, a cage. Like, they're just – they're in a bad spot, man. This is – Worst possible case scenario for them now with Shea Weber being out, considering their defense isn't isn't thick enough. The only thing they can do is hope on hope Carey Price gets almost a shutout every game. Yeah, but the, here, okay, here's the scenario right now. Currently in the Eastern Conference, the Rangers and the Islanders are the two wildcard teams at 39 points. Third place in the in the Atlantic is 35 points with the Bruins. Montreal's at 30 at 30. Uh, 32 points. The Bruins have three games in hand on them. You know, unless they tear off nine, ten in a row, when does Mark Bergeron say, okay, we can't catch third place or the wild card? And when does he start moving pieces? Because, they, I mean, at, at this point, I mean, I'm not saying move Weber, I'm not saying move Drewan, but he's got. You know, the talk about there's been a lot of talk about Pacioretty. There's been other other names out there. When does he say, "Okay, I give up"? Yeah, I don't. I, that's a, that's a great question. I I think in Montreal, it's always later than it is for other teams. When you yeah. that, you know, I think you got to hang in there. And and the Atlantic's weak. Like I think they could, you know, if, if Weber's not yeah. out a long time, they'll still they'll still manage to get in it because you look at the way that Atlantic is, it's it's weak. It's and ridiculous. isn't and isn't that the worst case scenario, Russ, for them for them to hold on and hang on? Yeah, while, but while, you know that's. But the thing is, it could be Bergevin doing that for his own job too. So, and if that's the case, then he is going to do everything he can to try and make the playoffs anyhow. Now, the other significant injury was uh, on the uh, was on the weekend. Uh, Brock Besser, the star rookie for the Vancouver Canucks, got hit with a shot from I think I believe it was Mark Giordano. And, and 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 limped back to the bench, and preliminary indications. I mean, they're they're saying it could be a deep bruise. They're saying it could be a broken a broken foot, a broken ankle. I mean, there's no there's there's no there hasn't been a a, a uh, accurate diagnosis yet. But it it didn't look good, Russ. And no, I mean, I'm I'm gonna go more than deep bruise, considering he was using his arm and he was dragging himself to the bench. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. Now, the weird thing about this injury is we're normally used to seeing this injury on, like, you know, a one-timer or a slap shot. This was on a wrist shot. Yeah. So I can only imagine the the force of a Giordano wrist shot to just cause – or just hit the right spot, man. Yeah. Yeah, Either way. You could hit the right spot, yeah. Yeah. It's just – it's heartbreaking, though, because Vancouver's had so many injuries to begin with. And right. Besser's had his own injury history. Mike and I were – 
I think Mike was right next to me when he was telling me how he couldn't play in MSG when he was with North Dakota because he, he had an injury for that too. And yeah. so he's, he's had some injury problems because he is a guy that plays all out no matter what. He, he tries to do everything. And, and, and Kev, this is really impactful for this organization because uh, if you, again, you look at the, you look at the standings, San Jose at 38 points, they're third place in the Pacific uh, Dallas, 38 points. Uh, they're the second wild card. Vancouver's at 34 points. Now, it's possible, you know, stay in the ra- stay in the race, um, but they, you know, this is on top of Horvat, and there was another 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 uh, forward loss that ben they Barchi. had. Ben Barchi. So you're talking about you're talking about you know, the Sedins having to jump up into that primary role again because of other injuries, and not a lot of depth being there. That this could be a coup de gras for the Canucks. Well, this is the sad part about all that. Like. You know, first of all, no one has talked enough about uh, what the Canucks have done. Like, uh, you know, I I remember writing in the preseason, I thought they'd be a little better, maybe eight points better, but I still didn't think, um, you know, they were going to be anywhere near where they're at. Right. And the reason they were there is because they, you know, they're doing what is the hardest trick in all of of sports, which is to, uh, you know, rebuild on the fly. And that's so hard to do. And it's hard to do in any sport. But it's really hard in hockey, and they're trying to do it. And the way they did it is, you know, they've given the young players, Horvat, Barchi, Besser among them, you know, more playing time. And those players have responded, and they've yeah. really uplifted this Canucks team. Like, they yeah. have energized them. And more importantly, the Sedins, and we shouldn't be shocked at this because they've been classy players their entire careers, but they have bought into the fact that they have to now play a secondary role. Right. And they've done that well. They've really responded and done the, their job, what they've been asked to do, and they've uh, taken a back seat and allowed it to happen. And the response has, uh, the result has been, you know, just great for the Canucks. And now those guys that had, you know, energized the team are all out of the lineup. Right. Uh, you know, those are all important young players. And as you said, now all of a sudden we're back where we were. And at this stage of their careers, I think it's too much for the Sedins to uh, not only to be asked to, to uh, be on the top line, but to carry the team, you know, without those other guys, you know, doing the pick, you know, the work that they had done. So, you know, this is really, really tough. And, uh, you know, I, I really felt that Benning, the general manager was sort of fighting for his job this mm-hmm. season. And, you know, the results uh, thus far have been impressive. Uh, yeah. In how they've done. So yeah. we'll have to see how they respond, but boy, that's a, that's a tall order to ask the Sedins to do. Uh, you know, and just, just, just ask Russ. I, I I basically have been burying the Canucks because I thought that they you know they they should have gone the way of the rebuild, and you know they're they're doing their own version of that and it's been successful to a point. And I thought you know the best way for them is not not resign not sign guys like Thomas Vanek, not you know add Louis Erickson for five or six years, but you know do what Toronto, do what Edmonton, do what Buffalo did, and just go down and strip it to bear and keep the young guys. But they, you know you can't you can't uh, say that they haven't had their level a level of success. But now, you know if if they can't stay in the race, you know there are, there are assets there. There are guys like Alex Edler, uh, Gabranson is a, is an is, is a UFA. I don't think you're going to trade the Sedins, but a guy like Vanek can be a rent a player again. There, you know, they Benning can do things that can help them in the long term by selling off guys in the short term, and that might help them. 
I, th I think that's true, but I always think in the media we are much quicker to talk about that than what really happens, you know, within the organization. I agree with that. You know, you know, like, you know, you just toss that out, but I bet that it hasn't even been a conversation yet. I bet it hasn't because ownership has been pretty clear. They they right. want to compete, right? And so I don't think it's even been brought up. No, no. I, I would agree with that, and I I just think, um, you know, there, will there be a time? Well, sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, if they they fall out of it, but I think right now they're they're not thinking like that. They're thinking about what can we do to plug a hole here and hope you know right. we can get back quick and and uh, because you know those guys did a good job. Like you know the fact that they are even in this race is really remarkable when you it consider is. how difficult it is to try to do what they're trying to do. Now, uh, if you look at the overall NHL standings, the the Tampa Bay Lightning are leading with 50 points. Let me see. It was a 20, 24 six and two record, which to which to Russ and I and probably you, Kev, was is not a surprise because you could see you could see that team, you know, sort of going in this direction with Stamkos back with Vasilevsky. I thought that they were going to be a juggernaut, and so far they have been. But I don't know how many people thought that Nashville were going to be as strong as they have been this year after you know the Cinderella season that they had. And getting to the Stanley Cup final against the Penguins. I mean, they they have 46 points. They're tied with St. Louis, 20, 21, 7, and 4. And if you look at that roster, I don't see many holes. No, and they have really improved it. I, you know, I ended up writing a story a couple of weeks ago about, you know, five reasons why this team is so much better than uh, last the team that was in the Stanley Cup final. And mm -hmm. Uh, it got a, a, uh, an overwhelming response to it. A lot of people read that story, and most people, their comment was, you know, you're right. You know, like nobody was really thinking about it, but, you know, they're much better at center. If you remember, Johansson goes out in that final, and now they got Johansson. They got Kyle Turris at center. They got Benino. Mm -hmm. you know, Benino can shift up. Craig Smith is playing better than he was last season. Kevin yeah. Fiala is playing a more prominent role and, and recently has really sort of taken off. But here's the thing that's really sort of been lost. With Ryan Ellis out, I looked two days ago. Now, it's probably not the same now. But two days ago, Matthias Ekholm had the same number of points as Roman Yossi and Subban. Like, he had really stepped up. They all had 21 points. So they had, three, they had three defensemen who with all with 21 points. Ekholm, I think, has five or six goals now. So he's really stepped up his offensive game in addition to the fact that he's a big presence out there, can play, you know, physically. And, you know, uh, Ryan Ellis, when he's back, and, um, you know, it, it, this is going to be a really formidable team. And uh, I, and I've checked around the league, and Pekka Rene is playing as well as he did during the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think this is, is primed. I, I posed a question on my podcast you know, is this Predators team as good as the Tampa Bay Lightning? I don't think it quite is just because of the wow factor of the Kucherov and Stamkos. Um, you know, they're so dynamic. And the the I don't think the Predators have that ability to have one guy that or two guys that can just um, sort of take over a game in wow. an 18-second span. Um, but, you know, the rest of it, their defense certainly measures up, and their goaltending, as good as Vasilevsky is, Pekarene has been very good as well. So, um, you know, they're right there. I, I'd still give the edge to the Lightning, but I don't think it's a significant edge. And if people want to say it's a coin toss, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, after the trade for tourists, 
I said that it wouldn't shock me if they made it to the conference finals because now they're really strong up the middle. Like they're they're as good as their defense is too. They're strong up the middle and they have goaltending. That's like three key things you need to get to the Stanley Cup. So if they made it, I wouldn't be shocked. I still like my dark horse in Calgary though. I do. And and boy, Calgary had a really good game yesterday and the the kids are really stepping up there. Bennett had four points. Mm-hmm. Um What's his name at three points? Uh, Jankowski. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, if you start to get contributions, and again, they have a team who's very strong up the middle too, and now they finally have goaltending. Giordano's having a great year. He's not injured. Uh, Calgary's going to be tough to tough to beat also. They well, are. St. Louis has had, a, has had a run, but the injury – first they lose Fabry at the beginning of the year. They get all their players back. Bomeister gets hurt again. Now Schwartz is out for a, it seems to be long term, and I think that's going to wound them significantly. And they're still going to be really good, but in, until they get Schwartz back, and depending on how good he is, I, you know that that sort of puts St. Louis in a questionable situation. I think Nashville's defense, when they get Ellis back, is deeper than Tampa Bay's. I mean, Tampa. I, I think Tampa Bay's defense is great, but that top three is Strawman. Hedman and then Sergachev, and you have at the veterans, you know, guys like Girardi and then Cuckoo. I mean, you're talking about your number five defenseman in Nashville being Alexi Emelin. That's not yeah. bad. No, that's real good. In fact, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think t- I agree with I agree, agree with you, Kevin, that the wow factor of Kucherov, Stamkos, you know, Tyler Johnson, Palat, all those guys in the top six is a little a little higher than, than Nashville, but Nashville's got depth. I mean, a guy, you know, Arvidsson is, is really good. Smith is, is a good depth guy. I mean, there's, they have enough. Now maybe Nashville sees that. And maybe before the deadline, we know, you know, we know David Poyle likes to pull off the big deal. For he, sure. see, he sees that team pretty close. I don't know how, you know, what kind of cap room he can finagle. Maybe he can convince Arizona or somebody else to take on cap space. But he might be one piece away from, you know, winning the Stanley Cup. Well, yeah. So why not go for it? They weren't that far off last year. You know, no. that, that's the thing. So, and they're, they're a better team than they were last year. I mean, as we all know, you need some luck in the playoffs. And, um, you know, the – the uh, They'll have to break right in terms of who they play, but I, you know they're certainly capable of winning the Stanley Cup. I don't think there's any question. No, I just want to touch on this quickly because I don't want to be too Leaf centric here. But in the last few days, I mean, the Leafs are struggling. They've lost three games in a row without Austin Matthews. Matthews is still practicing, or it hasn't practiced with the club. He's skating on his own, which probably means they're not going to bring him back until after the Christmas break. They're being very careful with the with a franchise player, and that's completely understandable. But there's a lot. There's been a lot of criticism in recent days about. Mike Babcock and the way he's got the team playing now. They're playing very close to the vest. Russ was a witness to that in Philadelphia last week where they played an extremely boring road game, tied 2-2 late in the third period and blew the lead on a, on a bad pinch by Jake Gardner. And the way they're playing right now, Kevin, it's like they're, they're trying to play a defensive game, but they don't have the personnel to play the defensive game. And – I know that Babcock is getting a lot of criticism in Toronto because he's playing a guy like Leo Komarov more than anybody, um, and more, playing more than Nylander, playing more than Marner, and and Komarov has one point five on five the entire season. And people are saying, why aren't you playing the guys who can score? Yeah, no, and uh, you know one thing you will 
discover about Babcock as life moves on with him as coach is he will do what he wants to do regardless of what everybody else thinks. But, um, you know, he's one of those guys that adjusts based on personnel and how he thinks they're playing. And he obviously thinks this is the best way for them to play given the circumstances of Matthews being out. Um, But, you know, I, I agree with those who say, you know, the, the Maple Leafs do not strike me as a team that can, uh, embrace a defense first philosophy and be successful. Now, I don't think a team that plays, you know, wide open offense can advance in the Stanley Cup final no. too and I think they have to they have to master this type of game to be a team that succeeds in the playoffs, but they right now do not have the de- you know, it's funny, they're playing this conservative style to cover up for what I think is a subpar defense. And it's in the subpar defense and some of these young forwards who make mistakes, they're still making these, they're, those mistakes, but they're not able to cover up for them because they're not scoring anymore. So it's really, it's, it's really a, a, it's so far a little bit of a painful situation without Matthews and they have to hope that Matthews comes back completely healthy in a couple days. So I, I do want to mention um, to people out there, there's actually a documentary that's coming out of Finland on Leo Komarov. I know guys that are working really? on it. So, so keep an eye on that. And Mike, when the time comes, I'll I'll let you know. Uh, we'll see if we can get some uh, footage of it. Yeah, he's a. I mean, he's a very interesting guy. He speaks like five languages. He plays the piano. He's like sort of like the, you know, Renaissance guy. And they, they he's very popular, but. I think, you know, it's again, it's the analytics crowd. They see a guy who, you know, they, they want Josh Levo to play. They want Neilander to play center. They want Marner to play, get 20 minutes a night. And Babcock is set in his ways, like you said, Kevin. He's going to play Komarov because he's a solid defensive player, and he's going to play Roman Polak on defense because he's, a, because he's a tough guy who clears the front of the net, and nobody is going to convince him otherwise. That's the way he operates. So. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, Great show, guys. We'll be back. Um, I'm not sure if we'll be back tomorrow because I will be up covering the 100th anniversary game between the Leafs and that that historic franchise, the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, But we will definitely be back on Wednesday. Stay tuned to my uh, Twitter feed for uh, information on the show. For Kevin Allen, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.